0: Live from the Talking Joe Studios, it's Talking
1: Joe! Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 diddle, 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 the cat and the fiddle. What's that got to do with anything? Nothing. It's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the G.I. Joe Comics podcast. If you're new to the show and wondering what we're all about you can find out the details at the website which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Today we will be looking at G.I. Joe A Real American Hero issue 290 which is a spotlight on the October Guard which was released on 23rd of March 2022. Uh, We will have a special guest appearance from somebody uh, but before we talk about that, join me as always. It's a real Soviet Timsky. It's Tim Finn.
2: <laughs> hello, Mark, and hello, listeners.
1: <laughs> How are you, Tim?
2: I'm well, thank you. How are
1: you, Mark? Very, very good. I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing well. So uh, I wondered, Tim, did you see the news that came out uh, very recently before we recording on the first of April? From Super 7.
3: I'm a computer. Who wants a body massage?
0: It's here. The heroes of public service announcements. Get ready for body massage machines and computers
2: with our G.I. Joe PSA merchandise. Each sold separately from Super 7.
3: G.I. Joe.
2: I saw it. Uh, at the end of April first, and I immediately frowned. <laughs> and then, and then the reveal happened, and I breathed a sigh of
1: relief. So we're talking about Super Sevens GI Joe PSA collection. So they they had at this April Fool's Day, they had a product release of uh, Roblox, in big titles, body massage, and mutt. I'm a computer along with a, a skateboard and t-shirt, hat, and I'm a computer badge and body but massage and our enamel pin as well. And my initial reaction was, okay, it's 1st of April, this is just a joke, uh, somewhat elaborate joke, uh, uh, and it's very funny. But, <laughs> but then I look on the product page on their website and it's real, it's real things you can actually buy. Oh, and I guess for context, these are these are public service parodies that were put out onto YouTube by Fenster Films and uh, went somewhat viral and very popular quite a long time ago, uh, probably best part of twenty years ago, and and yes, yeah, seeing seeing actual release in the form of merchandise and figures.
2: Well, that's news for me because I I had thought it was real. I frowned. And then I realized it was April 1st, and I thought, okay, good, this is a joke. So now I'm back to frowning. <laughs> yeah. I am jealous of the, is it Fensler films or Fenster films?
1: Oh, it's probably Fensler. I'm I, I think, if it's, you think it's... If you think it's Fensler, then, then you'll be right and I'll be wrong. That's fine.
2: I Because they are kind of funny. I don't think the right kind of funny. Uh, they are sort of funny, and popular i don't i don't get along with a lot of gi joe parody in in uh 85 cracked Mm -hmm. magazine had a gi joe i i didn't have the issue but someone showed it to me i don't know if it was a one page gag or a several page you know comic but it was the 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 title of it or the reference on the cover was gi joke and i thought don't make fun of my thing (laughs) <laughs> and I still actually feel that way about G.I. Joe. I'm, I'm a little sensitive, uh, even though in middle school and high school, uh, I drew a hilarious Transformers parody comic book. So some of it is jealousy because the, that guy or those guys uh, were very popular. And I, and I would like to think that had I had that idea a little sooner, that popularity could be mine. But also, I think if you're going to make fun of something, it shouldn't be arbitrary. So if Roadblock says body massage, and that's funny <laughs> because a big guy saying those two words is funny, that doesn't have anything to do with G.I. Joe. That doesn't have anything to do with action or toys or or characters or story. Like you could have uh, Rom Space Knight say body massage, and that has nothing to do with Rom. But I guess the internet finds <laughs> it funny. So I, I, I am interested in a finely tuned, humorous take on brands that I like. So now, you know, if this is what it takes to get uh, those characters out there as um, reaction action figures, uh, and you know, it's, it's the 40th anniversary, you know, Any, anything that's good for G.I. Joe is good for G.I. Joe, um, but I don't think I'll be ordering those for myself.
1: Mm-hmm. And and I've just looked up the, the blurb, so might as well might as well read this. So uh so yeah, between nineteen eighty-five and nineteen eighty-seven, the G.I. Joe animated series aired on television, featuring public service announcements at the end of each episode, uh closing with the quote, Now you know and knowing is half the battle. In 2003, Eric Fensler began dubbing over the original audio, beginning with a PSA about a child getting separated from his parents at Carnival. Overall, 25 PSAs were made featuring nonsensical dialogue such as about pork chop sandwiches, body massages and computers, among other absurd topics. Originally passed around via VHS tapes, uh, the website's Became the home and the yeah internet sensation, so so there we go. Something that uh, I guess none of us would would ever have <laughs> expected to see in the world of GI Joe, but uh, there we are. This is where this is where we are now.
2: I guess I shouldn't be surprised. If, I, I am surprised, but uh, considering what ultra specific toys are in the GI Joe reaction line, for example, the very particular. Polar Assault Trooper from the episode mm-hmm. The Games Master that's a that's a very particular character to make a figure out of and a $17 figure to boot you know this isn't like a really obscure roadblock variance or I guess I shouldn't be surprised but up until now I don't think I don't think the Fensler PSAs have ever been officially recognized hmm People people know those punchlines and certainly people know the original PSAs and the original PSAs are part of the, you know, the makeup of Hasbro's YouTube channel or uh, the, you know, the new IDW Saturday Morning Adventures uh, miniseries comic book. Um, but I don't think, maybe there's some licensed t-shirt that I haven't noticed in the last 10 or 15 years, but I don't think those terms or this sort of concept has made it into any officially licensed G.I. Joe anything up until now. So that's really surprising and a testament to uh, Mr. Fensler's um, (laughs) uh, longevity.
1: Um, Now, often at this point in the show, uh, I would introduce our special guest who has had a hand in drawing the comic that we're going to talk about now this this particular issue is by Andrew Lee Griffith and uh, we have caught uh, up with Andrew previously he won't be joining us today but instead uh, we uh, <laughs> we have a catch up with the artist who didn't draw the issue which is which is uh, new for us uh, so ahead of the recording I was able to have a quick catch up with cover artist Heather Vaughan who was originally slated to uh, draw the interiors as well. So Heather is an award-winning illustrator who lives in Philadelphia. Her work has been featured in a wide range of markets, including editorial, advertising, publishing, concept art, comics and games art. When she's not drawing, she enjoys spending time with her pets, including her dog, and an ever-growing collection of snakes, lizard and tarantulas. Uh, her website is H-V-O-N dot com. So that's hvonillustration.com. dot com. So I caught up with her just a little while ago and uh, here's what she had to say.
0: Joe will return after these messages.
1: Hi Heather, welcome to Talking Joe. Hi Mark. Now the first question I'd like to ask is what G.I. Joe means to you personally and if you had any connection to it before starting on this project.
3: G.I. Joe was something I kind of grew up with with my brother watching. Um, He was much more into it than I was but I certainly am familiar with it so I would say say it's uh, not something I was like actively interested in but definitely know of it. Thought it was very cool when the folks at IDW got in touch with me to uh, to try me out on a cover so that was very it was very exciting
1: okay so that's gi joe covered what about uh, all of the drawing stuff so what's your background how did you get into comics and illustration um,
3: my background in comics and illustration i kind of went through it the traditional route grew up drawing uh all through you know my formative years my dad was an artist he was kind of a landscape oil painter I am not. Um, I, I'm, I'm traditionally trained, went the art school route, did six years at uh, University of the Arts, uh, was classically trained, and uh, at the time wanted to work in children's book. <laughs> ended up graduating, and uh, my husband ended up needing um, some help with his board game company, so I started doing board game illustration, and from there is actually how I got into comics in a very roundabout way. With my style, I would get a lot of people that would ask me if I was interested in doing sequential art, Um, and I had never really thought of it as an avenue for myself. Um, I wasn't a big comics person, certainly admired the art, but had never taken any classes in sequential, um, so it was never really something I thought of, but enough people had started contacting me about it that I thought I could give it a try, and um, I want to say early 2020, um, I had a couple people reach out to me about doing some small anthologies, and I thought that something small format would be a good way to get my feet wet in comics, so they took a shot on me, and turns out they really liked what I was putting out, so I did a horror anthology called, uh, Yule, and, um, another kind of long, longer term series called Hellbent, and I kind of, I was winging it, uh, kind of learning as I go. So that's kind of how I got my start. And once I had some examples under my belt that I was able to show around, that's kind of how I got into being able to do comics and, you know, got a little bit more work in that area. But it was definitely not something I had any intention of falling into. It was kind of accidental, um, which is kind of definitely a hallmark of my career, oddly enough.
1: Cool. I love the different ways that artists find their way into a career in comics. Always a, always a different story. Um, so, how would you describe your personal style? I mean, based on what I've seen and looked at on the website and, and that side of things, I'd kind of I see kind of retro illustrative styles there. You know, a bit of a melting pot of uh, Robert McGinnis, Tula Lotte, Mitch Gerardis, Ming Doyle. What what do you think?
3: As far as uh, how I would describe my style, um, I think it's very much... uh, It's hard. (laughs) I would say my personal style is really tied into my traditional training when I was in art school. Um, I did traditional art, I was a painter, I did a lot of pen and ink, and uh, really only moved over to digital the very, very, very tail end of my school career, and uh, tried really hard to kind of match that tactile texture that you get with, um, traditional, traditional art making. So I think I, I don't, I don't know. It's kind I don't know if I would kind of put my art next to, um, another person's art. I kind of look at it more as, um, pen and ink or printmaking style. I really do like a lot of mid-century illustrators. Um, Austin Briggs is a big person I am inspired by. Uh, I do not, Think that I hold a candle to him. Uh, he's one of the greats for a reason, but it's definitely somebody I look towards um, with the looseness of his lines and uh, his applications of color.
1: Cool. I'll definitely have to go and check out his stuff. That mid-century influence uh, definitely chimes, though. That's the kind of uh, that was the kind of era I was thinking, and uh, particularly with the Robert McGinnis influence. Now, regarding the GI Joe project, how did the opportunity to to work on on that come about
3: the opportunity to work on this particular book kind of a cold email um they had seen uh the folks at idw had seen some of the work i'd put out and thought i'd be um a good fit for the cover and offered to you know try me out on that uh with the understanding that um when the script was finished we would move on to doing interior work so over this past summer, that's when I was contacted to do the cover, um, which, you know, we were able to bang out pretty quickly. The script wasn't actually finished at the time. So, um, my art direction was very much, um, a little bit vague. So we kept it pretty simple, just like a group shot. And that's, that's kind of something f- fun I like to do. I do like doing like portraits and character studies in that way.
1: Okay, so you were asked to do the cover with the understanding that all that goes well, then then you could do the interiors and you did appear on the original solicits for the book. So what were the circumstances that meant that you couldn't actually do the interiors in the end?
3: That really just came down to just bad scheduling. Um, We weren't exactly sure when the script was going to be finished. And it just didn't work out that um, when the script did come uh, into being finished, you know, it had been a few months and unfortunately, timing just didn't work out. There was no hard feelings. It was just it was just bad timing. So, you know, we're hoping in the future we can we can uh, pick up another another project and, uh, you know, I can do some interior work uh, for the folks at IDW, which would be awesome. And uh, you know I haven't gotten down to my local comic shop yet, but I am you know excited to go and uh, pick up this this book and kind of s- get my feet wet with um, seeing more of what uh, I could be doing in the future. I don't think GI Joe is is a is a subject I expected to work on. It's definitely a little out of my wheelhouse, which is kind of fun for me. So yeah, that's that's basically it i had a, had a really good time it was really exciting to get the job and
1: uh yeah yeah that all makes sense it's a shame that the scheduling didn't work out for you on this uh, this time but uh yeah i look forward to seeing uh your work in the pages of idw at some point in the future even if uh even if it's not on gi joe so um thanks for taking the time ahead of the live show to to record uh some answers with us
3: Hope that is good. Sorry, I'm not able to join you, um, but good luck and let me know if I can do anything uh, else for you guys. Take care. Thanks. Bye.
0: Now back to G.I. Joe.
1: So there we go. Big thanks to uh, Heather for taking the time to uh, record that a little bit earlier on.
2: I think it goes without saying, but I'll say it. I like Andrew Lee Griffith's work on this issue. What What a bummer that we don't have a Heather Vaughn version of this issue, because I like her cover and I am intrigued to see what it may have looked like. Her work is different enough mm-hmm. from what we often see in GI Joe comics, uh, the the main real American hero series, uh, that it would have been a really uh, unusual change of pace. And you know, I wonder how fans who like the more traditional art
1: uh, yeah, would have responded yeah, yeah, to absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah, it would have been very interesting to 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 see how uh, her style would have fit in the book and it's yeah always interesting to see something a bit a bit new and uh different so thanks again to to heather for taking uh taking the time let's uh get into the issue shall we comic Comic talk talk, uh, oh comic comic talk. talk larry hammer writes them tim and mark discuss them whoa comic talk oh comic talk larry hammer writes them tim and mark discuss them whoa So, we are talking about Issue 290, released 23rd of March 2022. SITREP – they are an Eastern Bloc legend. They've gone toe-to-toe with G.I. Joe and Cobra more than once. They've even stood side-by-side with their American counterparts on occasion. They bring serious heat to the Cold War in more ways than one. They've celebrated victories and they've suffered losses but somehow they have remained intact. But wait, how? After said losses, have they remained intact? This month, open the top secret dossier, remove those pesky redactions and find out the long-awaited answers in Spotlight October Guard. So this issue is brought to us by writer Larry Hammer, artist Andrew Lee Griffith, colors Jay Brown, letters Neil Utake. Group Editor Tom Waltz and Research Specialist Diana Davis. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. We have a wealth of covers for this issue. We've got oof, seven covers again. We've got cover A, B and a Retailer Incentive plus four Retailer Exclusives. So one for Spectral Comics and three for Eastside Comics. So uh, let's cover cover A, B and the Retail exclusive first. So uh, cover A, art by Freddie Williams, the second colors by Andrew Dalhousie uh, Roadblock in the last of uh, this combined cover, Uh, a bit of an upshot uh, of his nose with uh lady j behind him with her trusty shotgun that she's so famous for cover b is the october guard by heather vaughn and cover r i is also the october guard art uh, by john royal jagdis kumar and colors by james O'Frady. uh tim what are your thoughts
2: well i was ready to say for cover a that uh I wasn't even going to say anything about it
1: because <laughs> we listeners can...
2: have now heard my thoughts about Freddie Williams II doing this uh, five-part, but this one actually turns out to be really exciting. Finally, it's, it's one-fifth of this five-part mm-hmm. cover where the composition on its own is exciting and works by itself. Roadblock comes up really far, mm-hmm. blocks a chunk of the logo the crimson guardsman who's getting punched or falling over backwards also does the same and idw has been uh seemingly well i I shouldn't ascribe a motive i don't want to say hesitant idw has infrequently covered Uh the gi joe logo or even part of it uh the up angle is a is a is a great choice the only sort of unusual bits are you know flint's two fists that come in from the left side um but uh, you know, even that Viper that's getting kicked uh, in the middle left, that's a it's a super exciting recoil reaction pose. So I wish this was a more accurate costume for Roadblock. I wish Roadblock was in the issue, or this was just Freddie Williams II drawing the October guard, but as an image by itself for a cover, it's very exciting. The thing that jumps out at me immediately about cover B mm-hmm. is the unusual color palette. It is a it is an aqua blue uh, on most of the cover. The, the six characters are mostly aqua blue and then a pale grayish uh, beige for their complexion and some of their clothing. And then there's maybe one fifth of the cover is red for the background. But that sort of disappears uh, a lot behind the logo, which also covers a giant yellow star. Um, and then what secondarily jumps out at me is how cartoony this is, how somewhat loose, but cartoony this is. This is not the realistic proportions of a lot of those five or 10 main artists we associate with G.I. Joe. And yet it's not the sort of rounded cartooniness of the October guard of G.I. Joe yearbook two, but it is certainly closer to that than, than the more standard you know, American adventure style of of most GI Joe comics. I really like this cover, and um, Heather Vaughn is very much exaggerating these characters: tall nose, big nose, little eyes, big eyes, eyes close together, um, some big uh, chunky lines.
1: Imagine if that was their code names.
2: Oh, uh, tall nose, tall nose, skinny nose, um, and then uh, cover RI by Royal and Jagdish Kumar is gorgeous. The colors are, are so gorgeous. There's a lot of red. There's a lot of pink. There's a lot of beige. Uh, it is a very exciting action pose of the October Guard. One of them is way in the distance. One of them is in the extreme foreground. The other four are in the middle ground and and not quite full body, but uh, we're far enough away that if they weren't covering each other up, we'd see uh, full body Colors are gorgeous. I love the reflected light on Colonel Brekoff's teeth and his eye on the right side. There's a little bit of, of peach, sort of a, a glowing orange on his teeth and his eye. Just totally, totally gorgeous. Um, my only... Also, sort of as an afterthought, I realize, oh, they're standing on ice mm. and snow. This is, you know, where they are, it's cold. And so the, the flamethrower and all the red is a real contrast to that. Um, uh, the, my only problem with this cover is, um, uh, Dinah's very feminine pose that is incongruous with the action that she's doing. She's, she's going out of her way to, in her sort of high heeled boots sort of, um, be- stretch her, her left foot, the foot on the right forward, so that she's, uh, sort of planting on the ball of her foot. And, and I guess, is it Dragonsky? Who's the flamethrower? Dragonsky, thank you. He's doing that too, to a lesser extent, behind her, but he's doing it in a masculine way, and she's doing it in an overly feminine way. And I feel like that diminishes the the sort of heft of her pose. You know, she's holding two weapons and she's firing and she's got a grim determination on her face, and yet, you know, she's still this sort of J. Scott Campbell skinny skinny babe you know with a very very skinny waist um, so I do love this cover but I, I wish that I wish that foot plant of hers uh, was a little bit um, a little bit more more planted the four variant covers I'll just speak to very generally and and, and then hand it off to you um, the first one is crazy <laughs> and the second two are um, I I I certainly understand how easy it is when you're drawing digitally to create variations. You know, like if you're Steve McNiven and you're drawing Wolverine coming back from the dead and Marvel says, why don't you do some variant covers where it's the same drawing of Wolverine in the same pose, but versions one through five or A through E, he's in different costumes from his history. So because Steve McNiven is, I assume, drawing in the computer, same background, same pose, but the, the clothing and the hair get redrawn in each one. And, and that's what's happening here in the second and third of these uh, retailer variants. Uh, in addition, a Photoshop left-right flop. Um, so that's great. It's smart. It's easy. I don't love it. You mm-hmm. know, I, I, I want a whole new drawing. And then for, sort of for all four of these.
1: I'll just I'll interject that the we're talking here about a Viper and a Python patrol version of the Viper both drawn by Jong Giang as the Eastside Comics retailer exclusive.
2: Yes. Uh, And then the one that I thought was crazy is uh, Vincenzo Riccardi uh, for Spectral Comics. But uh, all four of these with the fourth one, that's the Baroness. You know, you heard me say it before. I'm not really interested in covers like this where it's it's a popular character and they're not in the issue and the cover has nothing to do with the issue. Because this point... This you know this this Python Patrol Viper variant cover for a retailer exclusive, IDW might as well print that on an issue of Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> or uh, Immortal X Men number one or Detective Comics because the Python Patrol Viper doesn't show up in those either.
1: Yeah, the the retailer exclusive um, of Baroness by Will Jack there. It's I feel like we've we've seen enough. Sort of exclusive covers of variant covers with Baroness as a solo character on the front, and we've kind of—it's a well-established trope that seems to be basically every other issue at the at the moment. She she comes across as looking very very young in in this art, um, and yeah, I'm
2: getting a little bit of a Greg Horn vibe Mm -hmm. from this from the the finish of the digital painting. Mm -hmm. Uh, What what do you think about the uh, Vincenzo Riccardi? cover for spectral Comics. i love
1: it i love it i'd quite happily have this as like a poster on my wall it's a bit like tom scioli meets meets ladron meets um vincent van gogh it's crazy and colorful and mad and yeah great
2: oh i don't have anything to add i've I've already talked enough about the (laughs) coverage i didn't have anything to add to that oh my gosh it's 40 dollars wow
1: plot breakdown picking up from where Snake Hunt left off, with Dana from the October Guard bleeding out in the back of the Bongo Balloon Bear Van. We flash back to Sierra Gordo as breakoff Horosho, Charge, and Stormovic are airlifted away to a stealth Corvette with high-tech experimental trauma stabilisation suites. It's revealed that the October Guards that had died in Sierra Gordo in the events of G.I. Joe Special Missions Issue 26 were re-enanimated and have a majority of cybernetic replacement parts while retaining their organic brains. The October Guard want to get Dana fixed at the same facility. And one week later, at the Bakau Robotics and Cybernetics Centre in St. Petersburg, Russia, Dana is in a back-to-tank, healing quite nicely. But Horror Show starts glitching and a diagnostic reveals that his AI modules are burned out and the only way to replace them is to steal them from Revanche HQ in New Jersey. The October Guard raid Revanche HQ and find the parts that they need but they are intercepted by Blue Ninjas including a new Quantum Eradicator model that they take out with a mixture of flame followed by cold. Alpha 001 remotely shuts down their AI components, but Horosho is able to override the controls by sheer force of will and make an escape. But Alpha 001 indicates that with the implant still functioning, they will still have Trojan Horse sleeper agents in play as part of their long game. Dun dun dun!
2: So, my. My initial reaction to this is that the issue felt short. Mm -hmm. Maybe I was reading it too quickly. Mm -hmm. On second thought, I like how much happens. Actually, a lot does happen. And it's nicely balanced between right after Snake Hunt, the flashback to Special Missions, right after Special Missions 26 from 1989. And... The mission that's happening right now in the present day, mm-hmm. in in the present day of issue two ninety, it is unusual in that Joe's are only in it for two pages, and lastly that because you would make contact with Heather Vaughn initially and up until relatively recently, the the solicits for this issue still listed Heather Vaughn as the artist. I wonder how much time Andrew Lee Griffith had to draw the issue if it was sort of the, the new normal of not quite enough time to draw <laughs> an issue of GI Joe or less than not quite enough time. Mm-hmm. So going into this, I thought, okay, I, I think I might see some shortcuts. I think I might see some, you know, some silhouettes, some panels with no backgrounds, one or two wonky drawings, a little less detail. And uh, if this issue was a rush job, I don't actually see it. I think the issue storytelling is great. I think the expressions are great. I think uh, it looks. Uh, I don't have Andrew Lee Griffith's previous issue next to me for comparison, but in my in my mind, it looks consistent with his other work. Mm-hmm. And so, from a from a craft point of view, and also you know what he had to draw in this issue, like a lot of issues at GI Joe, it's not easy. You mm. know, it's it's a team. There are some robot ninjas. There's this giant. You know, ge- Giger esque Borg Queen robot thing. <laughs> uh, there's some, you know, there's a real building. There's a real helicopter. So from a, a craft perspective, I liked it. And then, and my last sort of top down idea is, I'm not convinced the October Guard needed to come back as cyborgs. I I was not looking for that after 1989, and and when some of them showed up. During a snake hunt, and then there was that—you know and horror show had that verbal tick. Sort of, I didn't understand it, and and then I think you said or we figured out. Well, either Hama has an idea or he's going to make it up as he goes along. <laughs> so, and, and I'm I'm much more interested rather than creating this new story sort of how they did survive. It's like, well, they they didn't survive, I guess. They did survive. I'm much more interested in the new October Guard, the replacement people that showed up in issue 101 back in, what would that be, 1991, 1992. But if the old October Guard is going to come back, tying them in with revanche makes sense and sets them up to be a part of issue 300 or the road to 300 in a way that is fun. And even though this might all seem to sort of stretch, stretch believability, you know, like robots, cyborgs, you you know, with with the Russian version of G.I. Joe, like, you know, the panel where um, horror shows in the tank and his arm is getting robot arm is getting attached in a in a flashback. I remember. Yeah. Uh, And also his head, the the back half of his head. But, you know, G.I. Joe had a brainwave scanner, whatever that is, in 1983. And uh, so it actually all works. It actually all fits for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what we guess don't know or won't know unless Larry actually tells us is to is to what extent the return of the October Guard was a a sort of a lapse in in memory that that they were brought back when they they were actually dead uh, and that was a bit of a, an accident uh, as as happened with the likes of Sneak Peek. Or whether there was a, a, you know, there was a sort of story that was either planned or, you know, could be made up further down the down the line um, that he had in in mind. So, um, yeah, curious to know whether that is. But given given that that they were killed in in a fairly dramatic way initially, and came back, uh, I guess it, it kind of almost forced the need for having a story such as this to kind of explain it. Because people would, you know, people obviously did have the question, "Was like what? They're dead. What? What gives?" So, so it, it's kind of either either a fix or a planned story that that kind of needed to be told to to under to, to explain away that what would otherwise have been kind of looked at as a kind of a bit of a gap or a you know continuity error that needed to be explained. You yeah, you mentioned sort of uh, Andrew Lee Griffith coming on as the replacement artist and sort of seeing a little bit of the behind the scenes because I've been talking to Heather Vaughan about joining us on on the show uh and then subsequently with with Andrew it it seems like he probably only had 2 to 3 weeks to to work on on this at, at most so so because I I heard from Heather in in very early February that you know before before she had started work on the book uh, and then uh, when I spoke to Andrew later on towards the back end of February, he had already uh, completed it uh, a couple of weeks prior. So um, it's yeah, it's most likely only a couple uh, or maybe three weeks, you know, two to three weeks. I would I guess that that um, Andrew had on it, depending on, on when they had the script ready and uh, and across to him. Um, so so yeah, we we know that you know most comic artists one page a day is typically a push. So, so I think he w- must've been working, uh, full pelt to, to get it going. And yeah, I, I, it does in, in places, I think it does feel like maybe, maybe you can see that, but I couldn't really put my finger on that definitively to, to say what about it does make me think that maybe there was, um, uh, a rush there it, it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to put put one's finger on but um uh, there isn't an, an obvious tell because you know it still all hangs uh hangs together
2: the 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 obvious tells that i don't see here that i have seen in comics in the past all all sorts of comics marvel dc image everyone the first few pages are sort of of the normal level of polish and finish you'd expect and then pages at the end, there are fewer details. You know, if someone's known for their uh, lots of tiny little lines, you know, like a Jim Lee, lots of little lines, cross-hatching, like hair on Wolverine's arm, that stuff drops out, fewer uh, backgrounds, a couple panels where someone is all of a sudden in in silhouette, or the more sort of egregious example. And I <laughs> there are lots of issues of, uh, I think, X-Men Unlimited like this in the in the mid-90s, where uh, one person pencils it and then eight or 10 people ink it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you, I, it's funny because I, I think back to that issue of X-Men Unlimited when I was first exposed to this. I think it's issue, I don't know, seven or eight. I think Havoc is in it. Is it the one with Sauron on the cover? I can't remember. But, um, you know, at, at the time, that's really disappointing. Now, when I find this in a back issue bin, it's really interesting and funny to me. Like, oh, here's some issue of Conan which, uh, you know, the inker the is credited as M hands, you know, like many hands mm, or, right. uh, you know, the inker is Krusty Bunkers, which is between three and 11 people mm-hmm. sitting around Neil Adams banging this thing out <laughs> in two days. And, you know, I, I don't know if I can, in some 1970s issue of Conan, figure out who inked what. And, and it starts to get really hard where someone's inking all the the faces and someone else is inking all the bodies and then six other people are inking the backgrounds. But um I also, you know, if if someone stays up all night or skips meals or, you know, doesn't go to their kids' soccer game, mm. or, you know, you just take a week off their life 30 years from now so that they can double time on a crazy deadline now, none of that stuff is good. Mm. But it is possible That And I I wouldn't assign this to issue 290, but it is possible that an artist who normally has three or four or five weeks on an issue may not spend the first few days of that as efficiently as they could. And having a kind of terrible deadline forces them to drop away a lot of worry and to just draw, Mm -hmm. to just sort of desperately draw and whether they realize it or not, lean on their instinct and a good comics artist with good storytelling if you give them less time may turn in not a better job but if you give them half the time i don't think they're going to turn in half the job i think it might you know whatever the math is turn in 86 percent of the job and that's really impressive in its own way that when you uh in my in my comics class uh with my college Uh, sophomores and juniors, many times I would give them a one or one and a half hour assignment in class. This isn't homework. I give everyone one or two or three pieces of photocopy paper and a writing prompt. That's just an idea or a statement. And it's like, okay, you have 90 minutes, write and draw a one or two page comic based on this concept. Uh, Autobiographical right now, go. And everyone just sort of jumps into it and doesn't worry. No one, no one stops to think. And, you know, a student raised their hand and they said, um, can I pull out my phone and Google the Eiffel Tower? Cause I want to draw it correctly. And I have this rule in my classroom for that class. Uh, no, no, no phones. And I said, no phones. In fact, I'm actually much more interested in how you badly draw the Eiffel Tower from memory than how you draw it really well when you've got a picture of it particularly if you might be searching for the right photo of it and that takes you 3 precious minutes so maybe we can ask andrew lee griffith one day in a general sense how was it drawing issue 290
1: mm mm-hmm. i was just flicking through trying to trying to see if there are any backgrounds or pages where where it's you know it's a bit more obvious that maybe there's been shortcuts that have been taken and I can't spot them to be honest. Um, they're, you know most of these pages are are, are pretty busy with detail. so um, it's, it's 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 there isn't there isn't obvious things jumping out saying yeah this is this is where this is where a bunch of time has been being saved. So um,
2: and the other place where you you might see a mistake is particularly in a book like this where you know we've had scenes where we're in a warehouse someone's in a car or a jeep crashes into the warehouse there are three to six bad guys in the warehouse two to four people in the jeep who get out and there's a gunfight and someone moves sort of from left to right and you sort of have to keep track of you have to keep track of who's on the left side of the room who's on the right side of the room who's ducked behind this crate you know and um keeping the character placement Uh, to use a movie term, screen direction, you know, who's on the left, who's on the right, who's looking left, who's looking right, Uh, and movement and choreography clear and consistent. And similarly, I was not confused, you Mm -hmm. know? I mean, for example, and this is a really basic one, um, once the Blue Ninjas engage with the October Guard, every single page of this fight, the October Guard are are on the left looking right. Mm -hmm. And in most of them, the blue ninjas are on the right, looking left, and then the exception is at the at the end, the second to last page of the comic, where three of the October Guards turn around. But you know, it's it's all clear. I'm never sort of confused, like which hallway are they in? And you know, this may be a case where Griffith turned in some art, and Hama changed, wrote dialogue a little differently than he might have to slightly patch. But I, usually that stuff sticks out to me, and I don't see it here. And and as an example of of storytelling that's really good, and this is this is separate from you know, did the artist have enough time or not? On page eight, nine, uh, ten. Uh, two weeks later, it's nighttime, and uh, the October Guard have pulled up in this uh, truck, mm-hmm. and they're gonna break into the Revenge headquarters in New Jersey. And panel three, Dana says, "Yet Colonel Brekoff, everything's locked up tight on the roof with steel bars on skylights, infrared detectors, armored doors, and floodlights." And you see all that stuff in that in that panel. You see two little uh, boxes that are sort of glowing red, and you see bars on windows. And uh, okay, I don't see floodlights. I see three out of the three out of the four things. And in the previous panel, Brekoff says, uh, "Dana." Has your drone found anything useful? And she's holding a remote control. And so there's there is lots of good continuity. And I mean, and I'm I'm certain in Hamas' plot, he wrote you know page ten, you know like nighttime exterior, the revenge building in New Jersey. See issue so and so for reference, and then uh, spells all this out that you know they're all looking at screens. She's got the radio control. We need to see the drone, if not leaving the van, then having already left the van and hovering in front of the building or over the building or approaching the building. And, and you know, these are the things we need to see. And maybe Hama provided reference. This is the kind of bar that goes over the window. Or, you know, maybe he just called it out and, and Griffith found it uh, on the Internet.
1: So um, so the other thing that struck me about this issue was how it's sort of situated in in terms of the the chronology or the the time so so Dana was shot in uh, issue 274 and then in the snake hunt finale the the october guard piled into the back of the bongo balloon van and uh, sort of a driving off um and and sort of i uh, check back to that and and it's all you know all tying in with the with the um with who was driving in that uh, van at the time? It, you know, Stalker and Rock and Roll, and um, Wade Collins and, and Co. So, so it's all all linked. But it's yeah, interesting that that we're kind of p- picking up from issue 275, what 15 issues on. Um, so, so yeah, kind of a, an interesting use of of time in in terms of being uh, picking up a thread quite so much later.
2: Yeah, I think some of this is uh, the the challenge or opportunity of writing this particular comic with a huge cast. And some of this is the challenge or opportunity of writing a book that's in the issue 270s or 290s, because you can go anywhere, you know? And and, and there are some comparisons in comics, you know? I read a lot of X-Men, and there are a lot of issues, you know, if Uncanny X-Men isn't running at the moment, although there's some analog books for a title called Uncanny X-Men. But, you know, it'd be up to issue 700 right now if if it had been published continuously. And, uh, you know, there are lots of one-panel flashbacks and there are lots of, you know, random issues where someone has a big speech to someone else about something that happened in the 70s or in the, <laughs> you know, the 90s. And, you know, there's a one-page... Uh, summary. And, you know, sometimes an entire miniseries gets published just to explain something that happened 100 issues ago, or someone has an idea and they want to expand on it. And then also, you know, what happened right issue 275? Either it was Hama's idea or it was Editorial's idea that there would be some self-contained issues. And now here we are building up to issue 300 and either hama wants to or has written himself into the, into a corner with addressing the october guards return and you know i mean part of the october guard showing up for snake hunt i think was that the idea in snake hunt is that every character showed up mm-hmm. and so what one of my sort of internal comparisons for for gi joe in the 260s 270s 280s is a band, a musical band, not anyone in particular, but like your favorite band that is from the 70s or 80s or 90s and that is on their 10th or 15th or 25th studio album. Or, you know, or even from the 60s, right? Because the Rolling Stones are still around. And, you know, if if you're only going to publish, you know, one of those like 12 issue Batman miniseries by a particular writer artist team, You've got a very particular tone and style, and and mission, and and era, and set of characters. If the last three hundred issues of Batman or Detective Comics had been written by one person, not a new person every year or three, there'd be a lot of weird and exciting left turns where the writer or editorial would say, why don't we do a bunch of flashbacks? Or why don't we do a bunch of self-contained issues? Or someone would write in and say, you know, that thing never got explained. And so, you know, you have your favorite um, band or musician and, you know, for their uh, 13th album, you know, they make a concept album or they, I don't know, uh, team up with a bunch of collaborators and it's a very different kind of band. And Hama has said in an unpublished interview that with... All the crazy toys that were happening in the late 80s and 90s and, you know, more and more characters, there can be a sense of desperation that sets in. And I don't know if he's referring to sort of Hasbro coming up with crazier and crazier stuff or sort of he's left to figure it out. Okay, well, now I got to use, you know, eco warriors. But, you know, one of the choices he can make is like, yep, I'm going to have a flashback to 10 or 15 issues ago. And also within this issue, a flashback to, you know, 100 plus issues ago. <laughs> I don't know. What, what is the comparison? You know, Batman, Detective Comics, Uncanny X-Men. X-Men books for many years had a lot of flashbacks. And then under one or two sort of publishing or editorial regimes, the rule was no flashbacks or the sort of urge was let's not do a lot of flashbacks. It's confusing or it makes readers feel like they're not, you know, if they're new readers, they don't understand um but
1: yeah it's it's kind of it's 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 less a flashback and more picking up a thread and then yes sort of you know taking it yeah taking it forward um and and sort of jumping ahead a couple of weeks uh at at a time as as well but um yeah the 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 larger and longer flashback is obviously back to gi joe special missions issue 26 where the october guard died originally and i i I did go back and have a look at the the issue to remind myself, of, you know, quite what their state was when they when they died. And uh, so so um, Stormovic and Sharge um, dying by barrages of of gun gunfire, and one of them falling over on a, a lever, sort of in a very heroic way. But Breakov and show sort of um, their deaths were slightly more grisly and explosive, literally in, in terms of uh, show had been. Shot dead and slumped over on on break breakoff, uh, and breakoff then chucks a grenade into the back of the vehicle that they're in, which is filled with filled with explosives. As it then collides uh, with a, a cobra vehicle and it explodes, sort of clearing the the track. I think it was. Um, so so they both died in yeah <laughs> in, in quite a quite a large way. And uh, and as we skip forward into that that um the flashback um. Well, horror show is looking in quite a a, a bad way. Breakoff is is there at least sort of um, awake, alert, and sort of attending to his friend and sort of bandaging uh, bandaging him up. So I wasn't entirely sure of uh, how uh, how that all all tied together in in terms of how how we last saw him exploding in in his vehicle.
2: Which uh, brings up a question for me because I you're, uh, I think you're referring to Paige... Uh, one, two, three, four, where we see Off over Horror Show, and then the pilot is talking to Off. So the next two panels on page four, the nurse has put this crazy helmet mm-hmm. on Horror Show. And then b- both the third and fourth panels, there's all this dramatic red, uh, yellow and orange light. Mm. And there's this device on the right side that the nurse is looking at. And she says, we have the latest experimental trauma stabilization suites. We can do amazing things these days. And then the pilot says of, is it Schrage
1: oh, I get or a confused. storm attack. One of the two.
2: Yeah, sorry, I'm <laughs> such, a, such a GI Joe fan. I can't tell these guys. Uh, he's going to cardiac arrest, get him into the auto defib and tube him up. So is the yellow and orange light coming from that device in panel three? Is that actually in the helicopter, or are we getting sort of a visual, not flashback, but flash forward to where they're going to go? I I actually was confused by these two panels. Yeah,
1: I I agree. It was the thing that that sort of threw me the the most, because it it was weird, (laughs) but but it it seems like they're still in this helicopter, because it, it sort of immediately follows them sort of landing... Um, on the on the helipad helipad of the of the boat so
2: well well, i didn't mean like are these two panels now actually a flash forward what i meant is is the background does the background belong to what the nurse is imagining almost as if it should be in a giant thought balloon the background should be a giant thought balloon where she's like no let me tell you about where where we can take you (laughs) and then this this sort of kirby jack kirby device with a little bit of Kirby crackle, actually, um, is making all these. But but the the yellow and orange light is hitting these other four characters, mm. these other three characters in the scene, and so it's drawn as if it is an object in the helicopter.
1: Yeah, it it yeah, agree.
2: So so I don't know if if Hama had an idea and Griffith didn't quite pick it up, or if Hama and Griffith had an idea and did colorist Jay Brown color this object as if it's in the room but if it had just been like flat yellow or flat blue and not illuminating the characters then we would like read it as something we can imagine you know later on you know like the way that when you watch um any any newscaster in the studio they're sitting in front of a giant uh monitor a tv or or a green screen and you know if they're if they're talking about washington dc like the Capitol and the Washington Monument are behind them, but they're standing, they're sitting in a studio elsewhere in DC or in New York. They're not actually in front of the, the White House. And we, we understand that now they're talking about the White House or, you know, the Washington, things happening in Washington, DC. So, but she's, but she's looking at it. The nurse is looking at it. Yeah. And also horror show is looking at her or looking at it. And yeah, he's I think, already now yeah, I think his this
1: bizarre helmet is connected to the glowing, device because there's that sort of tube leading out from his um okay his mouthpiece like a giant um,
2: elephant elephant trunk trunk. (laughs) yeah it goes off to the bottom of the panel but then then you sort of see something like it come in from the right side of the panel yeah um i think you know i i think this could be fixed with one word balloon or one small color change so if it's a mistake rather than something that actually works and i'm just misunderstanding it i think it's a it's a weird mistake, but uh, <laughs> relatively yeah. easily fixable. I don't know that IDW would, you know. My, I, I've always got this hope, like, oh, can you fix it for the for the inevitable paperback collection and, and the digital versions? But uh, I don't know. Yeah,
1: I'd, it's, I'd be curious to see what the original description is for that panel, just to see what what the original intent was to as to quite how how well it is actually captured in the final book you know maybe maybe it looks exactly like uh like it was intended but it's you just a what? bit confusing and strange
2: you know what actually I, I now i sort of wonder is there a missing word balloon because if you took the nurse's word balloon uh we have the latest experimental if you move that up and to the left if you put that sort of over horror shows uh, head and you had a different word balloon where she's like i've hooked him up to the kirby machine mm-hmm because she says we have the latest stabilization but if if it was something like we have the latest stabilization let me prime him with our portable unit yeah mm-hmm. and then again in terms of I'm not I, I'm not quite sure if this thing is real in the helicopter or not on the next page when they're taken off in stretchers it's not like we, we don't in that on the ship in the ocean in the rain as the helicopter unloads the injured people on stretchers. We don't then also see the nurse carrying horror show out and he's still wearing that helmet and he's like tugging along the Kirby machine next to him.
1: Like an IV drip on a, on wheels. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, I think that would, that would help. That would help for sure. (laughs) I'm just looking back at my notes. My note was what the heck is going on in that helicopter? (laughs)
2: Um, you know, this might be a place where, you know, I've often referred to feeling like IDW, G.I. Joe stories, they sort of accelerate right at the end around page 17, 18, Mm -hmm. because they're only 20 pages, they're not 22 pages. And it's not like a a medal I will pin on each issue. It's like, this is where I feel like the issue got a little shortchanged. But if there was one more page, you know, this scene might have a little more breathing room. Uh, I don't think it needs I don't think it needs the space. I think it needs a slightly different approach to art or lettering or scripting or um color. but I also it's not so confusing it didn't it didn't lose me. It didn't you know anger me. I just thought hmm okay, I think I understand this and then I kept reading
1: okay let's uh let's push should we push on to to the raid in revanche Should we skip ahead to yeah that, yeah so. Uh, I think that that's that's done. You know, that's not badly handled, and you know, I like you said when kind of it reads as a very fast comic. It f- feels like um, you know it happens all very quickly, and you get to the end of the comic very quickly. And it was only really when I came to write the um, the plot breakdown when, that I realised quite how much actually happens in the the single issue. But um, I did feel a little bit like a raid on Revanche again we've we've had lots of raids on revanche over the last 150 ish issues it, it it feels it feels like we've just it's a plot that that that's happened an awful lot
2: my take on it was that these blue ninjas are not scary or experts mm-hmm. you know in previous issues the joes talked about you know aiming for the head it's not that they're these aren't cobra bats in Blue Fatigues, they're ninjas. Mm-hmm. And when we've seen ninja, like Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow and Dark yes. Yeah, Storm Shadow and the
1: Snake Eyes, you know, fighting fighting against one blue ninja to a standstill in some of the yes. earliest appearances.
2: And and you know we've seen a couple ninja in in all of GI Joe that are easily dispatched, and I guess not very good ninja, like the three red ninjas in issue twenty one that get taken out with a grenade. You know, and it's it's like a joke. It's the it's the it's the Indiana Jones joke with the with the pistol in the marketplace. Um, and you know, if if there was if there, something about uh, all right, so you've got these. One, two, three, four, five, six. October Guard, and they're fighting what seems like ten or fifteen or twenty. Not just cobra bats, not just ninjas. They're basically cobra bat ninjas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's some third party, but like you know, the the October Guard are armed for bear. They've got uh, machine guns and a flamethrower and some rocket launchers, and the ninjas have basically lightsabers. Mm-hmm. So I feel like what this what I was expecting was a longer fight, a more difficult fight that you know, sort of taking the hallway and then taking the stairs. I expected the the blue ninjas to sort of there's that panel um where one of the blue ninjas is is jumping when when the uh, October guard are saying they're mounting an Android wave attack, And then Stormivik says, mm-hmm. "I got this, and one of them is one of the blue ninjas is jumping above the other. And I thought, Okay, now these ninja are going to sort of get past the oncoming uh fire, I mean rifle fire, and with their swords like attack and chop up some of these October guardsmen and I thought, "Oh, maybe maybe they're not going to make it out of this story because the 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 odds are actually not mm-hmm. so not in their favor this time." And the the October guard dispatched them. I don't want to say easily, but directly. Mm-hmm. And that's actually pretty satisfying but i don't know if it it fit the logic of how scared i feel like i'm supposed to be of the blue ninjas um i'm glad the october guard got what they wanted and in terms of the nuts and bolts of this story <laughs> you know yeah thank you if if the october guard get the the um the parts you know if they if they grab a couple boxes of inventory so that they can go back and fix themselves but really that's what the Blue Ninjas wanted after all, because then it can activate sleeper agents through their, you know, cybernetic parts, then, then good. You know, so, like, oh, did they let them? Was it too easy? Uh-huh. But, yeah, as you just said, if it's taken several Joes to fight one Blue Ninja to a standstill, I feel like every time we've seen the Blue Ninjas, they've sort of gotten less effective at fighting. Yeah. And and maybe actually that's what it is. Maybe they're less effective. Maybe the drones are not as deadly as, what is it, Alpha-001 mm-hmm. has gotten bigger and smarter and stronger. So this feels a little bit like how sometimes Cobra and Cobra Commander are um, a little silly or a little less serious and a little less deadly. And then, you know, Cobra Commander throws two people in the trunk of a car, and pulls out his pistol and fires into it. What was that issue? 170 or 210 or something? (laughs) And I remember thinking, oh my God, Cobra Commander just killed these guys. Like, yes, yes, Tim, Cobra Commander heads a worldwide terrorist organization. He's a disgruntled domestic terrorist um, who's gone international. So um, I feel like sort of similarly, sometimes the Blue Ninjas are less deadly and less exciting and then all of a sudden you know one of them will
1: like injure a joe and i'll think
2: oh man these blue ninjas sure are are tough and i expected that to happen Mm -hmm. here
1: there was there was a comment that i uh when i was looking over on his tank forum to see what people were saying over over there there was a comment from vxc961 uh who said uh, I just don't feel like Horror show's humanity was really earned or explained in the story and that that sort of chimed with with me there's there's this element where they sort of outline the the percentage of robotic parts that uh, each of the October guard have and they and they say that horror show is at a hundred percent which threw me a little bit as well because a hundred percent would imply that there's no human left uh, at all which I think we we, we see
2: skin we see skin
1: well yeah exactly so yeah you know i I don't think it's 100 but and and if it is 100 then then how you know just saying sheer you know force of will alone gets over over them shutting down his you know robot bits when his teammates are you know what is it 20 percent 70 percent 60 percent get shut down completely i'm not too sure that that completely makes it, makes sense. Yeah, where are we? It's breakoff is at twenty percent. Stormovic is at forty percent, and Shrage is over seventy percent. And Stormovic and Shrage both get shut down completely, uh, and Breakoff keeps going with just his arm shutting down um, because he's only at twenty percent. So so he's able to keep on going. Whereas Horisho at hundred percent is is able to uh, yeah to pick up his pick up his teammates and uh, fight on through yeah
2: uh yeah i i will agree i'm thinking again about this overall idea to bring these characters back from the dead and to make another sort of larger comic book comparison with say batman or x-men you know bruce wayne died there's a story grant morrison wrote this big story where batman dies sort of. He, he, <laughs> he gets, he gets shot by a time bullet. Yeah, and it gets complicated. It goes to prehistory and it's, and it's particularly complicated because it happens during, not just in the Batman comic, it happens during a, a larger DC miniseries event. So I don't know. It's hard to read, read the whole story in the right order. And, you know, Superman has died and the Punisher has died. And, and uh, twice, I think, you know, Cyclops has died twice and Wolverine has died. And these characters come back and, um, we, we expect that, and this is even separate from the X-Men characters all now, being able to uh, resurrect, but we, we expect this from superhero comics because it's been a decades-long uh, tradition or convention. In the world of G.I. Joe, the comparison would be Dr. Mindbender, uh, Serpentor, Cobra Commander, and, you know, Serpentor's death originally is amazing, and when he came back, I remember thinking, "Well, this isn't necessary." And Cobra Commander's death originally was amazing, mm-hmm. and I, with with a little bit of grown up information and logic at the time, I thought, "Oh, this guy's never coming back. This seems so permanent." But I understand that you know Hasbro was going to change his mind, or Hasbro was going to make a new toy. It's like this character had to come back sooner or later either because Hama said, I just have to do it, or because Hasbro said, well, we're going to make another toy. And Hama said, yeah, I told you. <laughs> and and similarly with Mindbender, you know, Hama thought he was done with Mindbender. And then all of a sudden there was a couple years later, a new Mindbender toy. And so, well, he's a clone. And with the October Guard, their original deaths are so meaningful. And it's it's sort of, interesting and painful that there are now replacements in issue 101 in, in the 100 and in the 100 and zeros. And if, you know, Hama was always going to have to, or always going to choose to bring Cobra commander back. And when Serpentor came back, I don't feel like that story did a lot for me. And then his death also didn't do a lot for me. So that felt like a lesser version of what I'd already seen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the October Guard have to be back, I like this issue and I'm glad they're back. Um, but uh, I think it w- this issue or a version of this story would have more pathos if the replacement October Guard were doing a version of this mission, if the replacement October Guard had shown up for Snake Hunt, mm-hmm. when, you know, every Joe, every living Joe is going to show up. And if you want, as the replacement October Guard after 274, 275, gets away and they're having a hard time them to also flash back to the last time the October guard had a hard time in special missions 26. Then, you know, I, I think, I think there are sort of forced resurrections and there are resurrections by choice. And, and I don't know that the resurrections by choice always get you sort of the, the greatest benefit at the same time. I also feel like as much as we all, Know and Believe and Hama has talked about the 300-issue story, you know, special missions and all the Marvel run and all the IDW run as one story. I also sometimes do think of the Marvel run as its own thing Mm -hmm. and the IDW run as sort of this converging, diverging thing. Sometimes it really is issue 156 and up and it's the rest of the story. And sometimes it's its own 150-issue story and here it's sort of like, uh eh, this is sort of like the first time I've seen this October guard and I guess they're cyborgs as opposed to like well we we you know we got to know them in the eighties and then they died and then they were replacements and then they came back
1: yeah and there's you're sort of talking about maybe missed opportunities or moments of pathos that we could have had and and I it, I think there there's probably a scene that that maybe we're missing here that that would have been interesting as as well, which is. Um, the the living October Guards being Dana and dragonsky the moment that they find out that their you know their fallen comrades are not quite so fallen as as well. So when when did that happen? What would you know? What what would that have uh, looked like? Because presumably they're sort of continuing on in the in the dark, yeah, not not knowing this that they they've they've come back. They did join the new October Guard with their you know gorky and mishka and uh sort of i guess assuming that they're they're they you know the former comrades were were no longer in the land of the the living
2: yeah but you know that could be a that could be i don't think we're getting any extra one-shot issues between now, <laughs> yeah, between yeah, now well, and three
1: probably never see that but uh yeah
2: between and, now and 300 but that is a comic that could be written and drawn and i would buy yeah and I would talk to you about it <laughs> for two for two hours.
1: Because during during Snake Hunt as well, there was that sort of moment where where the, I think it's horror show starts it starts glitching, and uh, and they sort of try and deal with it while sort of Dana and Dragunsky are sort of in the other room or something. So it's like the the sort of slight insinuation back then was that maybe they didn't know, or or perhaps maybe they just didn't you know wanted to. Hide some of the realities of what it's like being a, a cyborg from from people, you know, somewhat maybe of a, a shameful moment rather than a necessarily a secret. Um, so so I guess uh, an elephant in the room sort of regarding this issue as well is the the timing of it uh, coming coming out a an, uh, an October guard. Spotlight in the middle of uh, real world situations where uh, Russia is also in the, very much in in the spotlight. Uh, who would have guessed back uh, back in what the summer when we first heard about this issue that uh, Russian Russian soldiers might be in the news?
2: Yeah, um, a year ago, a half a year ago, Hama posted on social media that he was rewriting a scene or changing an issue because uh and we we sort of pinpointed this to was it was it part two of murder by assassination yeah, right. or yeah. part where where the the joes are in or at the senate or, the, or they're at the they're at the capitol mm-hmm. talking to a committee or a, a subcommittee and because of the january 6th insurrection at the u.s capitol hama either chose to or was nudged to change the story i'm 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 guessing Hama just chose to. Mm-hmm. And you know, G.I. Joe has always reflected the real world and then also uh gone its own path and ignored the real world and not worried about the real world. Um, you know, we have the Iron Curtain in G.I. Joe, but it's Barovia, you know, it's not it's not Germany. Yeah. And we we have uh, a larger Middle Eastern country invading a smaller Middle Eastern country in the early 90s. And that happens in G.I. Joe, but it's two fictional countries, and also Cobra is involved. But, you know, something like s- the terrorist attacks of te- September 11th or the meltdown at the Fukushima nuclear power plant in Japan, you know, I don't think those things have happened in th- this G.I. Joe storyline between issues mm-hmm. or. They have the way that I don't know, you know, landing on the moon and Pearl Harbor happened. They're they're very far away.
1: Yeah, the this issue, I guess the script would have t- been turned in early early February. So had it had it been written just one month later, I think who knows all of the all of the modern uh, all of the contemporary situation percolating. We might have ended up with a, a slightly different story but uh who who knows um what about alpha 001 and his long game you got any speculation on where that's heading
2: i i don't and i feel okay saying that because <laughs> i also don't think larry Hama does either and i don't say that to to try and sell him down the river i think he tells us often that that's how he writes I You know, maybe Hama sort of this time has a notion of where he's going for 300, but it might be just as general or vague as there'll be a big fight for issue you know, <laughs> 300, the way that 50 and 275 were big fights. Or, you know, maybe maybe it's like, well, the first half of 300 should be a big fight and then the back half should be some, you know, six pages of of, uh, of wrap up a la you know, a letter from Snake Eyes, or the final page of Special Missions Twenty Nine. Yeah. So uh, I I I have no guesses.
1: And I guess introducing things like um, the Trojan Horse sleeper agents in the in the October Guard maybe is something he'll do something with. Maybe it won't, but it's like by introducing it now, it gives him something to play with, should he choose to. And and yeah. and I've heard him sort of describe that as a kind of way of, of writing that. Let's put this in, you know, it gives us room to fo- something to, to follow up on. I don't know what it means yet, but but I can come back yeah, to it. And
2: I, I also think, I think as much as fans who are f- sort of maybe frustrated by or fans who are also writers who would never themselves take this Hama approach of making it up as they go along, I think with such a big cast... And with such a long history, I feel like a lot of us, if we were suddenly to be writing A Real American Hero, would do more of that than we realize. I think sort of out of necessity, Mm -hmm. you might. I think think you could do a lot of plotting, but five issues, ten issues, however far later, however far ahead you had plotted... You would get some new ideas, or in the real world, a country would invade another country, and you you would shift gears, or you know, uh, some figure would come out in the classified line, and a fan would give it to you at a convention, and you'd think, oh, you know, I wasn't going to do anything with the Alley Viper, but this orange is just bonkers. <laughs> I think I'll I think I'll rewrite half that issue that I was thinking about writing coming up, and it'll be about this Alley Viper, right? Mm-hmm. In a very general sense. I don't think anyone's gonna die, leading up to issue 300. Oh. I think that Hama. I think that Hama has said uh, he doesn't like killing characters, even though he has done it before. And whether or not a a new GI Joe comic that we 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 hope starts from another publisher after December of 2022, whether or not it continues this GI Joe continuity, explicitly or implicitly. You know, and Hama just posted this week on social media about how a character like Snake Eyes uh can be and needs to be and maybe it wasn't even Snake Eyes, maybe it was all the characters, you know, morally upstanding. You know, like that that this is like uplifting fiction for, for readers. And even though issue one fifty five has some pessimism in it, uh I think I think this is gonna end on a Hopeful note, you know, or a more realistic, a realistic note that balances um, optimism and pessimism. So, uh yes, is it possible that like every character that we have seen die previously and has come back will die by issue three hundred, and sort of like the decks get properly reset? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think Cobra Commander is going to die. I don't think Mindbender is going to die. I don't think Snake Eyes, Throwdown, or Dawn Marino are going to die. You know, I think there'll be something in Cobra Island, The Pit, Revanche. I think one of those three or all those three locations. You know, I don't think the final three issues are going to take place in some location we we haven't been. But, you know, Hama might be writing that story that I'm describing right now in October. So Mm. who knows?
1: (laughs) Oh, dear and as i sort of flicked past the end of the the issue we've got next month uh, reveal next month we have got a front cover with i think this is the cover b art uh, by sl galant of uh, cobra commander and mindbender in a casino mobile while in the background people are queuing up to be brainwashed uh, in in a Casino, what is, I guess, touted as a casino game uh, plan TX virtual hold up, hold them on the brainwave scanner. Um, oh, TX TX for Texas. Yep. And um, what struck me most about this was that it's an actual cover reveal in the pages of the comic. I'm so used to seeing uh, the, the cover of the next issue months ahead uh, on the interwebs that to actually see the next cover uh, and see it for the first time in the pages of the comic is most unusual, but very cool.
2: I was very excited when I turned the page and got to read the final page of this issue and also, as you say, see this really fun fun, and really well-drawn and really well-composed, and and not just a drawing, but an illustration, a drawing that tells a story, Mm. Uh, cover B by Gallant for issue 291. Uh, which I'll talk about in a in a very, in a future episode. So I don't want to get into this too much.
1: <laughs> but we, we also know that now the name of the next storyline, which is going to be called High Stakes.
2: So, um, but then I turned the page one more time and I didn't see a letters page. And I saw this wonderful ad for Saturday Morning Adventures number one again. <laughs> and... Uh, you know I I know putting together a comic can be you know sort of last minute getting files ready for the the printer and you know the the letters page is the last thing to do to go to 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 get done you know this issue should have arrived a little earlier but it's like no issue 2 of Saturday morning adventures came out last week I, this ad should be for issue 2 I really want a letters page mm. Because I, I want to know what you know, one or two people think, and I want, I I, I want that interaction. I want to know that there are some fans who are talking to IDW and Hama, and that Waltz and Hama are talking back, even if, you know, if that's happening on I don't know his tank or some IDW discussion. Probably not, but I, I missed that letters page, yeah. and I wrote a letter to. Oh, uh, no. Not about this series. I wrote a letter about Saturday Morning Adventures number one, and I guessed correctly that issue two of that series would not mm-hmm. have a letters page because side mini series like you know Sierra Muerte and Silent Option and you know the the, the yearbooks have do not have letters pages. Yeah. Um, but I was hoping, since I had written a letter on Saturday Morning Adventures one, uh, that I would get it printed in issue two. Uh, but if anyone's curious, I I took that letter and added a few paragraphs, and that is a blog post uh-huh. that I posted on my blog.
1: There was a particularly excellent comment on the histank Tank forum about the missing letter page again from the from the, the same chap. VCX 961 uh, he said also I'm bummed there was no letter page even when the letters are bad I just enjoy seeing them and the editorial comments also every once in a while someone like funky bunch marks write, it writes in and the letters page is really interesting um so so we've got some really <laughs> deep thinkers over there on uh, on that pa- on that particular forum saying some uh, it, very it, factually correct things
2: it is possible no one sent in letters I think it's more likely that the normal, very small number of letters arrived and the issue was running late mm. or the editors are pulled in a million directions. And it was much easier to run an ad instead of that uh, that letters page. But I, I like this issue, even though it, it represents uh, a choice that I wouldn't make. I think this is a good comic and a good G.I. Joe comic. Even if even if even if it comes from a thesis, that is not one from where I would start. Um but I, I do have I do have an I spy. It sounds like I'm about to do sounds like I'm about to do Yojo score, but uh I, I spy, spy with, with my little, little eye. eye. Um I spy. Um I think i spy the first appearance of a named blue ninja, which is a quantum eradicator. Uh-huh. On page uh, I guess it's uh well it's about it's about three quarters of the way through, he's running at us and his arms are, are down and he's sort of at an angle. Yeah. And I thought as soon as I saw that, oh I don't think any of them have been named before. And then I thought Is there a Joe toy called Eradicator? Is this not actually a reference to an existing character or a vehicle, but one of those sort of funny uh, overlaps, you know, like there's two guys named Airborne. Um, or like if all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's a vehicle driver on, for the Joes named Rage. Wait, wait, that's also a Cobra vehicle. So is there a... Uh,
1: it doesn't look like it.
2: There's no... There's no Eradicator. There's no Joe... Yeah, there's no Joe named Eradicator uh what am i thinking of i'm thinking of there's eradicator from
1: super uh, superman i'm thinking of
2: interrogator and eliminator Mm -hmm. and overkill i'm thinking of a guy who's like this overkill (laughs) and then words that sort of rhythmically rhyme with it
1: yeah i i suspect that there's been other names blue ninjas before like maybe I thought they were just I thought they were just numbered. Well, mm, maybe numbered potentially. I was thinking of the the blue ninja in the yearbook, the one that uh, hunts. Oh, that's
2: that's that's three feet away. I could <laughs> grab that and look while you while you talk. One second, you, you you talk.
1: No, no, no. Let's. I'll have to do more editing if I talk. <laughs> Back
2: up. Flipping through it. Uh, BNZ-001 That's the big spider one
1: BNX-0066 Oh, maybe that's him Could be, it's either one that gets sent on the mission
2: That's the one that gets the face That uh-huh. gets the skin put on its On its uh...
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right you Maybe they've all to... been numbered prior to this point Could be, there's been a lot of blue uh, ninjas blue-
2: Do not struggle. Damage will occur. I am blue death x86. I am optimized for ninja elimination. Thank you. Thank you. That's my my blue ninja. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't think. I don't think there's a name.
1: Okay. Maybe not. Okay. My I spy was the stealth corvette. So this is that uh, October guard. Sort of battleship looking thing that the helicopter lands on so this is based on the project 2038-6 multi-purpose corvette which is a, a real world uh, ship due to be commissioned 2023 so uh, wouldn't have been around back in the days of uh, special missions issue 26 but is based on a real world thing the uh, other s- I Spy I had, which I wonder if you've got somewhere in your notes or, or maybe uh, slotted away in your brain box, Tim, is on the very first panel of the book. There is a uh, there- there's a panel that says, "In the aftermath of the last battle of Spring- Springfield," asterix. and in the asterix call out box it says C G I Joe A R Vol Twenty Four. Snake Hunt, Sergeant Waltz. Now this is printed in the monthly book. I would very much like to see the numbered monthly issue being credited. Thank you.
2: Okay, so so I think, I think what is happening is you as a reader are reading the issues, and so you want this issue, this issue footnote to send you back to an issue because mm-hmm. you have issues, you don't have books.
1: I got all kinds of issues. Uh,
2: I think I think the publisher is making the decision to uh, create the footnote in the format that looks to the long term, because in the future, someone reading this story will be reading it uh, digitally or the volume 24 snake hunt collection, the the $29.99 paperback and uh, they'll be they'll be reading the series as paperbacks. And so when they're holding whatever this is, volume 26, 27, uh, they will know where to go on their shelf as opposed to their back issues. And I have noticed this um, in the monthly Usagi Yojimbo, which coincidentally IDW is publishing right now. But I think this may have switched over a couple years ago when Dark Horse was still publishing Usagi Yojimbo. There are occasional footnotes which point back to previous stories. And in the last year or two or three, I have noticed a couple of footnotes which refer to the story by the the story title and the actual paperback collection, not the issue. Not like, see Usagi Volume 2, Issue 10, but it's like, see Usagi Volume 9, Grass Cutter. I'm, I'm, I'm getting those wrong, but um, so this may be an IDW thing. This may be just sort of everyone knows that the, the, the graphic novel collections are the sort of the more permanent format.
3: Um,
2: it may be uh, cost be saving because maybe IDW wants to do a version for you. This issue points back to an issue and then they do a second file for this page, which points back to the graphic novel for the digital versions and the graphic novel collection. But they don't want to have to go back in and do a, yeah, a, a exactly. Fix or they a want to future version.
1: proof it so that they don't have to go yes, back and, that, and redo it or pick it or you know or remember to to pick up a different version of that same box when they come to do the the trade paperback. So I understand why they did it, but um, as a as a monthly reader, it would be nice to have, uh, have the individual issue.
2: So um, I had an
1: iSpy, spy, and that is on the
2: third to last page when quantum eradicator, when this, this blue Ninja that seems sort of more particular than a lot of the other ones, less a drone and more of a commander, um, when it is glowing hot and then gets splashed with this ice cold nutrient fluid and it sort of freezes up and you see these sound effects, uh, crack, snap, pop, and then key rack. Um, it looks like it looks like what I want to describe as sort of how in in comics after 1991, after the existence of the film Terminator 2: Judgment Day, I feel like if you describe a a robot to twenty people and you have them draw it, I think a lot of people are going to use the T1000 or I guess it's the T-800 uh, endoskeleton as a, as a reference point, whether they sort of think about it or not. Mm-hmm. So I looked at this, this panel where key rack, the third panel, the, the, the rusted, I guess it's not rusted, the, the frozen snapping, breaking uh, metal body. And I thought this sort of looks like something I've seen in GI Joe before. And it reminded me, I think of the, the bats that are in the star brigade arc around issue mm-hmm. One forty-five, uh, 146, 147, 148. And it reminds me a little bit of the, the bat that is on the covered issue 153, which is to say, you know, in, in a world after Terminator 2 Judgment Day, I think a lot of people are going to, if they draw one sort of, you know, metal robot cyborg without the skin or without its clothes, it's going to look more like the Terminator then less. Uh, that's that's a, that's a very complicated eye spot. I one.
1: <laughs> and the and the sequence of him of him getting hot and then uh, and then c- cool and then cracking is is also a very Terminator Two style sequence where uh, where the T one thousand is is covered in liquid nitrogen or some some such and and then sort of starts shattering.
3: Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming.
2: Um, this is this is not an error detective. This is just a, a preference. Okay. Um, I, you know, I've been looking at, uh, at the John Royal retailer incentive cover for this issue, and I realized if I could make a very small change, if you look at uh, Stormovic's Fist, Holding his cigar, um, there's a very thick line um, down from his thumb on the side of his hand, and I wish that uh, uh, Dana had a thicker black line on top of her hat and her shoulder, so she would push forward more from whoever it is who is behind her. Since I get their names mixed up, uh, anyway, uh, my actual my actual air detected is um and this one I I totally forgive on page one in the second panel Horror show is holding Dinah Dana, Dana. <laughs> must be driving our Dana must be driving our listeners to distraction horror show is holding Dana and there are one two three four five six other people crowded around him because the van is not that big mm-hmm. and then in the next panel they're all gone and he's holding her up in his arms but he's still in front of the same two back doors to the van. And so this is, this is a small continuity issue where the van isn't that big. Those other characters wouldn't have like stood up and backed, up, backed out of view. He wouldn't have stood up and sort of shimmied back right up against the inside back of the van so that we don't see anyone else. And I think what's happening here is Andrew Lee Griffith is drawing Horror Show sort of emotionally by himself Mm -hmm. in this panel, even if physically he would not be by himself in the back of this van a moment later.
1: Good. No prize. So yeah, maybe, maybe a sequence there where potentially not drawing the background at all and just having a single bold color might be. uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, My error detected was, is towards the end of the book at the very last page. In fact, so uh, Colonel Breakoff says, uh, he's, he's in the forklift with Dana, he says, I can function, it is only my arm that was affected. Get us out of here, Dana. And uh, in that panel, he is holding on to the side of the forklift with one arm and shooting his gun with the other. So uh, it looks like his arm wasn't too badly affected after all. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Too much of, uh, I, Is that Is that getting no. Super nitpicky Or is that an error?
2: No I No I thought I thought of that When I read it But I, I didn't I didn't write it down Stop.
1: Hammer time. time to beat the soles Of your boots With my face Sucking chest wounds Red ninjas Brain scanners Rubber Who's blue ninjas And then some more Sucking chest wounds
0: Hammer time
1: I didn't have a hammer time we could probably find one if we tried hard enough. The, uh,
2: the 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 is it the Corvette? Is that that's this Russian ship? Mm-hmm. Um, in a general sense, that seemed like you know something you would not see in any other comic book published this year or next year. That the writer is identifying a real-world prototype, a prototypical vehicle that belongs to an enemy army or an enemy you know technology uh and it felt it it felt very gi joe it felt very hama to me like i don't know what that is that's very cool i it's that looks like a specific thing
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know and and it's been named so hama must have seen it in the new york times a year ago or got some magazine that refers to it and when it came time to write this scene he thought well how would they get out of there well, there's this, there's this Russian thing, this this fancy boat <laughs> that a helicopter can land on. Like, yep. And then I thought, oh, poor Andrew Lee Griffith has to draw this thing. You know, it's like he drew this this complicated helicopter for two panels. He draws this, you know, complicated boat for one panel. You know, it's like someone give him a couple panels of dialogue where the lights go out. <laughs>
1: How are we going to rest how how are we can operate on the October guard in the dark? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um at the bottom
2: of page 1 when you said had there been no background that would feel and look emotional and and we'd be less aware that the other six characters are not in the in the shot and maybe they should be. Two panels later, uh the second panel of page 2, there is a sort of rare and then the final panel of page 2, there is a rare panel in this whole comic where Andrew Lee Griffith has decided to not draw any background. And in both cases, there's so little space, it, it, it doesn't even read as, as a time saver. It just reads as sort of, I don't want to overcrowd the art yeah. or you wouldn't yeah. see the background anyway because of the word balloons. But to sort of loop back around to, uh, I think this is a job well done in less time than normal. If there were any shortcuts, I guess it's these two panels. But, you know, you'd probably do that anyway.
0: Mm -hmm. There used to be a pudding that was over-egged. You know the pudding. You know the pudding. At first it was British, but then it was Commonwealth. You know the pudding. You know the pudding. But now there's a new player in town, a comic book writer of of some renown he's using real world examples and peppering the issues with with lots of samples it's a larry hammer colloquialism he's talking gi joe and all its heroism can you guess what it is is it something new now
1: listen as larry drops a slice of real life on you i had uh, a colloquialism um, this was uh, an exclamation from horror show he says Phew. he sayst c h y o r t which is a Russian cuss word meaning damn or equivalent hmm.
2: um i've have, I've have one more it's not quite a it's not quite a hamism it's a it's an adjacent one two three. Four, five, six, seven, on page seven, one week later at the, I don't know if you say the word Baku or if you say the letters, one week later at the BACU Robotics and Cybernetics Center in St. Petersburg, Russia. That's a real thing.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even think to look that up.
2: Uh, The Institute of Robotics and Technical Cybernetics in St. Petersburg, Russia, built between 1973 and 1986. Uh, so that that interesting building on the left that looks like a
0: mm-hmm.
2: I don't know like a turbine or a, a, an egg beater <laughs> that's a that's a real thing and 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 the photo that I have found on the internet but um, you know it would it would be very easy in in any comic or any other GI Joe comic to just make up some place where the October Guard are operated on and saved and the readers either wouldn't know the difference or most of them may not care. Most of us may not care. But, you know, Haba is going to ground this comic in the real world because it's fun. And he learns something, you know, because he has to go research it from a book or a magazine or the internet, or maybe he gets to show off. God, I've always known about the BACU. (laughs) Oh, I can put it in this issue in G.I. Joe. That'll make sense. And that'll look smart. Um, and, and I think even if we don't, even if the reader doesn't recognize that it's real, it doesn't stand out as real or particularly not real. I think on a, on a subtle level, a reader might be a little more satisfied because, you know, the architecture like, okay, that looks like that was built in the sixties or Mm seventies. And that does look like what little I know of, you know, Eastern European and, and Soviet era architecture, um, as opposed to you know if you if it was just some warehouse just some warehouse anywhere in, on an island in the pacific or somewhere in in russia and you know it'd be easier for andrew lee griffith to either google a warehouse or just draw a big rectangular warehouse thing and make it up but you know no this authenticity adds something to it and and those of us who are uh, paying attention to these very specific weapons you know, it's like oh, they got so and so's AK forty seven wrong, or so and so's holding an AK forty seven. He's supposed to be holding a so and so. You know, here's one panel, um, and I, I, I nodded, I nodded, in approval when I read this panel. I thought, I don't know what this is, but this
1: is cool. Excellent. Uh, I found the I found the photo that that panel is based on, as you were as you were talking.
2: Oh, we should. Uh, uh, I spy uh, Crystal Crystal Ball shows up for a panel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. there he is. Right. That was, There's that, that was crystal easy. ball. Good. Yeah, we yeah we, we yeah. should have mentioned him, shouldn't really, shouldn't we? Yeah. I, 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 I like
2: that. I like that you can see his accessory. That that is important to me. I would not like this panel if that if his uh, hip, hypnotism shield were not slightly in view in the passenger mm-hmm. seat because he's not in costume and I need something to visually point to. This is that guy you like from that toy you like. Yeah. And you know, in the story moment he shouldn't be wearing his costume. Yeah, he's so, still in yeah.
1: still in mufti from um uh when he was delivering pizzas. Pizzas. Yeah. And and yeah, sort of following on it's sort of following up these the story beat that for whatever reason he decided to uh sort of uh betray cobra, would you call it? I don't know or, or align himself with the uh I guess he was sort of doing a sub mission for uh one of the factions wasn't he, he was sort of spying on Cobra on their behalf. Um, and yeah, he sort of aligned himself with the October guard. So, so he sort of, again, he sort of come out, uh, out of Springfield on their, on their, on their heels, uh, in, in the October guards own van to, uh, to rescue them.
2: You know, maybe I did have a favorite line, um, that page that I just referred to with the with the, the the real buildings, the real place mm-hmm. in Saint Petersburg, Russia. In in the third panel, we see uh, Dana in the in the back to tank for a second time, and uh, the two scientists are turned away from Brekoff, mm-hmm. and he's saying, "Now I get it. Oh, hold on. <laughs> now I get it. You two are on that stealth Corvette in anticipation of new meat for your experimental project." And the, the male scientist says, well, the fresher the better.
1: Damn. Very good. Yo, yo Cola, not great. soda. Yo, YoJo Cola, it's the time to give comics the rank. They blew up fine. Zero to ten, that's the score. Had enough or hungry for more. The jokes can
0: open, the fizzy pop, but you know us—we can't stop. It's yo,
1: Joejage time. Shall I go first? You go first.
2: I'll go first. Uh, seven. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's a little hard to rank this issue because there's actually so much going on, and yet we started by saying this went by really fast, which is a way of saying not a lot seems to be going on. Mm-hmm. I still don't entirely agree with the central thesis of the issue. You know wh- why? Why do you need the October Guard to have come back? But the note that I wrote is: if you're going to this, I like I like how this is done, and I like how it it's going to tie in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think I chime pretty close to that. Yeah, I'd probably down with a with a seven two. It's not necessarily my favorite of the most recent issues. It's, I guess, a story that kind of needed to be told given the introduction of the, the October Guard and, and the mystery that that kind of set up that, that we definitely wanted to see that resolved in in some form and just, you know, tie that little thread uh, of, of plots into a bow. Some sort of quibbles with the execution, that, that sort of helicopter scene was a little bit weird and confusing. Horror show's sort of force of will not feeling quite, quite deserved. More, more sort of disposable blue ninjas sort of feels a little bit repetitive and sort of undermining some, some of the men- menace of the blue ninja force that was established earlier on in the, in the run. Those are probably the kind of things that, you know, detract from it. But um, as you say, it was a very fast read, but, but they managed to somehow pack in a, a huge amount into the, into the story. And flicking... I know we... I was going to say, I'm flicking to that to that blast page in the trailer for the next issue. Yeah, enormously looking forward to the I guess the a plot of the of the Cobra Island uh, casinos, uh, seeing how that will progress. Yeah, definitely definitely looking forward to next issue in a in a big way.
2: So I know we have we've sort of wrapped up because <laughs> we've done error detected and I Spy and Homonyms and, uh, uh, and and Yo Joage um page 17 i wanted to mention i wanted to mention on page 17 um once again neil Yuatake does some really nice lettering
1: let's talk about sfx baby let's talk about pew and scream let's talk about shooting gun things and the sound effects we'll see let's talk about sfx let's talk about sfx
2: F S S S S H H H for the flamethrower in two panels. That's a that's an evocative um, flame-shaped lettering font, and the the letters get bigger and smaller, and they 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 don't go in a straight line. Uh, they sort of zip up and down like a roller coaster. And then in the final panel of that page, underneath, horror shows uh, rocket or missile having launched. I guess it's it's both yeah. a rocket and a missile. Uh, foosh. That sound effect, that lettering, uh, tracks underneath the, the cloud, the the trail, in a really satisfying and pleasing way. But I wanted to ask you about this. When Quantum Eradicator is introduced three pages earlier, he's got two arms. And then on page 16, he has two arms. And then when he's glowing red hot on page 17, he has four arms. Mm-hmm and i know that the blue ninjas you know that the main one has sort of changed form and evolved am i missing something is there is there any indication here that that this um that this blue ninja who's the who's the bad guy in star wars episode uh, yeah
1: general grievous two? yeah
2: yeah when general grievous holds out his two arms and then two more arms sort of come out of them and then he's got way too many lightsabers <laughs> Is there is there something that I'm forgetting from a previous issue where the blue ninjas can I, either split their arms I'm, or sort of have more. I'm not sure it's
1: something that, that that's been explicitly explained, but but I kind of went with it that that okay, he's he's covered up by this sort of blue camo, the fire has burned that away, and he's sort of going into a new combat mode where he's able to split his arms in into two so that he goes from two arms to four arms. It feels like that's intentional.
2: Okay. I guess Andrew Lee Griffith does draw these four arms as skinnier Mm -hmm. than the two arms on the previous page. So in terms of volume, it adds up. Anyway, I gave this comic a seven. Sounds like you gave it a seven. (laughs) There we go. Um, To to pick up on your thread, uh, I love the cover for the next issue. And I'll talk about it in a future episode. But uh, I, I do look forward to the next issue, and I'm 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 happy to welcome back Shannon Gallant uh, to to the book to the book
1: indeed. Cool. So uh... wait, Gallant? Did I say it wrong? Ugh. What did you say, Gallant? Gallant. 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 Gallant.
2: He's he's. we've only interviewed him
1: on the show. <laughs> he keep a little index card
2: next to me with uh, last names and October Guard member names. Spelled
1: phonetically. Very good. Um, So uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to share with you and with uh, the listeners that uh, on the website I've introduced uh, a new feature so that if you want to get in touch with the show that you can uh, click on the link uh, just in the contact us section and you can leave us a Voice notes, so uh, up to sixty seconds of you talking to us. You can let us know your opinion of uh, the most recent shows. If you've, if there was something that we got wrong or missed, or you'd like to add in your comment, or indeed if you'd like to submit your very own trailer for uh, GI Joe Origins for me to uh, create to to add some music and stuff to 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 put into. Uh, uh, and, and feature uh, on the, the show and uh, as a trailer for that S S.Jubs trialled it out to see how it would work and he left us a little voice note so I'll play it here So, it occurred to me that Talking Joe uses a video game music as its intro Did you know that Talking Joe when first aired used a video game music as its intro? I know it sounds like the DIC cartoon, but actually, the music is sourced from the Konami video game cabinet from 1992. Got to get tough, Yojo. Was that news to you, Tim? That that the Konami arcade game used the same music as the deep cartoon. Got to get
2: tough. Yo, Joe. I don't think I had that fact at hand, but I have played. Is this the Coinop one or the Nintendo one? I have played the, the coin-op one and won it. So I have known that. Fact. <laughs> uh, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm so grateful for uh, Sjobs to return to the show and test out your cool uh, technology. I was really hoping for a question or
1: praise. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll cut it out then. <laughs> do, do better. Only only questions or praise accepted.
2: No, you know only questions or praise or criticism.
1: Okay, of a criticism of S jumps. <laughs> so yeah, so that is uh, that is a available. To uh, all of you, the listeners, head on over to talkingjoe.co.uk. On the website, right near the bottom is a button in the contact us section uh, where you can leave us a voice note. We look forward to some people uh, using that and trying it out. On the page, there's also links to all of the YouTube episodes, uh, which are basically the same as the audio only episodes, but with added visual content. Uh, links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and all of that good jazz, including our Patreon page. So a big thanks to our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, and Justin, who are all getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content. Uh, Tim, where can people find you?
2: My brick-and-mortar comic book store is Hub Comics in Somerville, Massachusetts, the United States <laughs> and my blog, my blog is a real American
1: Excellent stuff. And, uh, we spoke to, well, I spoke to Heather earlier on and she can be found again at, uh, the website H V O N illustration.com. So I think that is almost us done. So uh, yeah, so next time on Talking Joe, we will be continuing to cover the ARA run with issue two ninety one, High Stakes Part One, with the return of S.L. Gallant or Gallant or Gallant or Glints or any any number of ways which we could choose to to mess it up, um, which at the moment has a solicitation release date of april the 6th which at the time of recording is next week and and certainly
2: is not certainly is not happening. <laughs> but hold on let me let me look at the internal retailer site
1: but um oh
2: yeah yeah you're right yeah the the hmm.
1: but this is this issue 290 this that that had a very late uh pushback of one week as as well they even went as far as releasing all of the previews Advertising it as coming out that week before, uh, the 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 date was pushed back one week. So um, I wonder, yeah, may, maybe we'll see just a short delay for for this one, perhaps. <laughs> With that bombshell on the release date done, <laughs> I think we are through. But remember,
2: nobody beats Talking Joe, a real American
1: podcast. Oh, we're American now. We were international last time. Um An
2: international podcast
1: with people from England and America and listening all over the world. Laders